We are in a series called GOAT, the greatest of all time. And if you were with us last week, I talked about, uh, in my opinion, the greatest basketball player of all time being Mike, Michael Jordan. And so we lost a few members over that. Um, I'm believing they'll get delivered and come back. No, I did. I had one of my favorite people go, Pastor, I love you, but you're wrong. You're wrong. LeBron is the great. <laughs> uh, just a great Easter Sunday last week. Were you, all of you that were at Easter Sunday last week, would you give yourselves a hand? I want to just say, yeah, thank you all. So beautiful. So many sweet people. Uh, today, as we jump into part two, uh, would you turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 11. While you turn there, this is kind of our key scripture, not just um, for the message today, but for the entire series. We're going to take the month of April and, uh, and literally learn about the goat, the greatest of all time. And Jesus qualifies in Matthew chapter 23, what is greatness? And if you've got your passage there now uh, ready, I'll read it to you or it'll be on the screen. It says, uh, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. The greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus actually qualified that greatness is not about dominance. Greatness is not, um, it's not connected to power of over others or finances or accomplishments. He actually connects in the kingdom of God that greatness is directly connected to servanthood. Uh, I, I often think about how great the church of Jesus could be if we go back to just being the servants of all. I wonder what we would fix in the world if everyone who called themselves a believer, a follower of Jesus, took on the role of a servant, humbled themselves, and started serving others. I wonder how many marriages would not go through divorce if a husband would start serving a wife and a wife would start serving a husband. I wonder how many beautiful relationships could be established between moms and dads and kids if kids would serve mom and dads and moms and dads would serve kids at that. I wonder what kind of business we could produce if everyone on staff was serving one another. I wonder what the church could be like if we became servants of all. And so as we jump in today, I've titled this teaching, The Towel. Turn to that person next to you and say, The Towel. So we're going to back up a little bit in chronological order from last week where we really looked at Jesus's. Um, death, burial, and resurrection. We're going to go back to the Last Supper. So turn with me to Luke chapter 22. We're going to move a little quick because we want you to be able to get to the pet and zoo. Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. They're sitting at the table. It is the Last Supper. And, uh, and verse 14, it says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have eagerly desired to be with you. I mean, how many of you guys know there are those people that you got to be with and those people you get to be with? And Jesus is saying right here, I could, this, you are my peeps. I couldn't wait to have this moment with you. I, I, I eagerly desire to have this Passover with you before I suffer. So he's laying it down. I'm about to suffer. And, and so we get this last kind of meal together. And he goes on in verse 16. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God, pointing towards the banquet of the Lamb. And I want you just to know, there will be a moment in your existence 
where you sit at the banquet of the Lamb. The Lamb of God will prepare a banquet for all of those that are His. And when we come into our heavenly kingdom place, when we come into that place with Father God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, there'll be a banquet and we will sit and we will laugh and we will cry, cry tears of joy, and we will be so excited as we eat the meal, the banquet feast of the Lamb. It is being prepared for us even now. Come on, somebody. And Jesus is referring towards that, pointing towards that. But he says, but first, before I tell you anything else, I'm so glad to have this last Seder meal, this last Passover meal with you. This is a big deal. I'm really excited about it. And you skip down to verse 20 with me. He says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. You have to understand that every year the Jewish people, the followers of God, had a Seder Passover meal together. And they had tons of symbolism in their time. They were training their children and reminding themselves of what God had done. And this Seder, this Passover meal, had these elements that referred back to 1,500 years earlier when God had taken a group of slaves, because that's what the Jews were. They were slaves to the Egyptians. How do you think they built all those things out in the middle of a desert? They used slaves to do it. And these Jewish people, God's people, had been enslaved. They had turned their back on God. And so as a result, they got, ended up being captured and overtaken by the Egyptians. And the Egyptians enslaved them, treated them how they wanted, like they would a slave. And they began to cry out. And asked God for forgiveness. And God said, okay, I'll deliver you. And you know the story of Moses, the plagues. Well, it came down to, if you know the storyline, it came down to Moses kept telling Pharaoh, let God's people go. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And then he wouldn't. So then these plagues would come. And then all of a sudden, you know, he go, okay, all right. Tell your God to stop putting this on us. And then this went ten plagues till they got to the last one. And literally, God sent the death angel. And, and Moses told, he told Pharaoh, listen. God's going to send a death angel and kill all the firstborn. Every firstborn animal, every firstborn child. Pharaoh, your firstborn is going to be dead in the morning if you do not repent and relinquish. And he wouldn't. And then he came to the Jewish people and he says, God says that he will pass over your home if you will sacrifice a little lamb, take its blood and put its blood over the doorpost. When the death angel comes in the night, and you can hear all throughout these, listen, they didn't have roadway noise, they didn't have interstate noise, they didn't have their sound machine going. People are screaming in the night as the death angel comes through their home and kills their people, their families. And so they're hearing this. Uh, many of these slaves probably lived within Egyptian homes. So they're in the back bedroom or in a, in a stable outside or something like that, in whatever conditions they had them living in. And as they put the blood over the doorpost, that death angel passed them over and killed all the Egyptian firstborn. I mean, you talk about, so people woke up the next morning to not, you talk about make the, the morning news. You talk about a focus on social media. There's nothing else to be talked about because all of these thousands of tens of thousands of people are dead. Children are dead in the bed. And all because Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. And this was the last one. He said, just go, just go. And here these slaves are, millions of them following God out into the wilderness. 
And so every year, the people of Israel realized we were slaves. God set us free. He passed over with the death angel. All of those who were in covenant relationship, everyone who says, okay, you're my God. I'll put this. I don't even understand this, this blood over the doorpost stuff. Whatever. I'll do it because you're my God and you said so. So every year, they would have this Passover. They would have this Seder meal. And they had these little symbolisms in the meal that they prepared. This meant this and this meant that. And Jesus said, I couldn't wait to have this meal with you guys. You're my boys. I couldn't wait to have this Passover, this, this last Seder meal with you. And I won't do this again until we're all in heaven together. And so this is a big, big moment. And he, and he has this engagement with them, and he takes the cup. And they had multiple times in the meal where they had, they, some scholars say, about four times, four cups, if you will. And they all had a representation of something. Uh, this was represent this, and they would pass the cup around, or they would all toast the meal or whatever. They would have a cup, a drinking of the wine, or the juice together as a, as a toast to what God had done, as a remembrance of what God had done. So when this passage, in verse 20, he says, in the same way, after the supper, so the meal has pretty much been finished. He took the cup, and most scholars believe this is the third cup, the cup of redemption. And so he takes that cup, and he goes, you know this cup? That how God redeemed you and saved you back in the wilderness, back our people, how he did that 1,500 years ago? I am this cup. I am the redemption. I am. I am creating a new covenant relationship with you here and now. A new, you won't have to kill little lambs. You won't have to go to make sacrifice. I am the sacrificial lamb. What I'm about to do will pay for it all. All your sins will be able to be forgiven. You won't have to go through all this ritual. I am creating a new covenant with you right here, right now. Can you imagine getting to be at that table? Can you imagine when all of earth shifts, when all of heaven makes a spin, when everything that God has been preparing is coming to fulfill, fulfillment, and you get to be at the table of a new covenant being established with God, everything. Can you imagine you're sitting there thinking, my grandkids are going to know I was at the table. That would be like being the first person to walk on the moon or the, or the first person to, to, uh, to go out in space or something supernatural significant. They are at the table, you would think that they would be so happy and so excited. But if you'll skip down to verse 24, it says, A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Are you kidding me? How stupid can you be? You got to be at the table. And now you are arguing amongst yourselves about which of us is the greatest? You, are, are you out of your ever-living mind? Can you imagine being Jesus just looking at him like, like you, what's wrong with you guys? Like you've seen my life. I, you, you know this is a divine moment in history. Everything will shift. You understand, it all goes back to this moment. We are not, we're not even believers. We're not even able to have heaven as Gentiles if this moment doesn't happen. This is the moment that breaks everything free so that you and I actually can come to the Father through Jesus Christ. We actually, the salvation, the new covenant's being established, and they're at the table, and they get to arguing about which of us is the greatest. Oh, I can't imagine Jesus' frustration. But drop down to verse 25, and you can hear a little bit of it. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. He says, listen, 
The system that is happening right now and has been happening for thousands of years, the Gentiles, the pagans, he's using this term to represent those who do not follow God. He says the pagan world lives like this. They rule over each other. And then, oh, they, the benefactors. And so you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, and you can get a little bit ahead in life. That's the only way is to kiss up the brown nose, whatever it may be. He goes, but not so with my kingdom. Not so with what I'm doing anymore. Keep looking. He says, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest amongst you should be like the youngest. You got to understand, in Jewish culture, there was a pecking order. The oldest had the most authority in the room, and the youngest had not a voice. Some of us grew up in a time where it was said all the time to us, children are to be seen and not heard. Anybody remember that one? Woo, I got that all the time. You are you not even alive. You have nothing to say. Sit, sit down and be quiet. The adults are talking. The adults are talking. There was no, uh, you know, uh, you, the, the, how, how, how it seems this generation chases around their little children and they let the little kids be the, the head of the household. That wasn't how I grew up. You didn't open your mouth. If you did, you got your mouth shut for you. Okay? And so Jesus says, now listen. He says, listen, in, 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 in the culture that we live in, the youngest is considered the least. But I'm telling you in the kingdom that I'm setting up, I'm telling you in this new covenant, Listen, the least is actually the greatest. I'm taking the pyramid of this world system where everyone's climbing to try to get to the top so they can be the boss of everyone else. He says, I'm flipping that pyramid, and the first one to the bottom wins. And the greatest amongst you is the one at the bottom loving and serving everyone above them. The greatest amongst you, this is my kingdom. He goes, I'm doing it right now. I'm living this in front of you. Verse 27, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who served. It is not, is it not the one who is at the table? He goes, look, you get to be at the table. How stupid are you right now? And yet I'm serving you. I'm serving you. So you have to understand, when he begins to do this Seder meal with them, and he begins to drink of the cup that was for, reserved for the Messiah, when he begins to explain to them this last meal, it clicks for them. If they had any doubts that he was the Messiah, it's in this moment they go, this is it. It's happening. He's spinning up. Wheels are up. This is about to happen. He is landing the ship. I mean, this is about to go down. He's going to set up. The king is on the throne, and we are with him. And so, wait a minute, I want to be vice president. No, I want to be vice president. No, 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 I'm smarter than you. Yeah, yeah, but I'm older than you. And there's things going back and forth because he's going to, they're thinking he's going to set up his cabinet. I want, to be, I want to be secretary of state. They've got this whole thing going back and forth. And he stands up and he starts rebuking him and says, no, 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 not in my kingdom. That is not what it looks like. In fact, I love how John actually records a little segment in here that Luke didn't cover. Look in John chapter 13 with me. Jesus does this thing right in the middle of them, acting like a knot, bunch of knotheads on who's the greatest. Look what he says in verse 3 of John chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. What did Jesus know? That the Father had put what? All things under his power. And that he came from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing. So they've been arguing about who's the grace. He don't even really speak to them yet. So the piece that I just read to you was after he does this. And he says, so he gets up and he takes off his outer clothing and he wraps a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, 
drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, first off, you've got to understand, he, no ruler would ever do that. No ruler would ever do that. That is way beyond, that is way beyond even being humble. That, in and of itself, would have to make me look at you and wonder, are you really a ruler? Are you really the Messiah? Because the Messiah is going to reign and rule. The Messiah is going to set all things in order. The Messiah is going to set up his kingdom. These are the prophecies that they've heard since they were little kids. Boom, 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 boom. And so here they are. They think he's the Messiah. They believe he is. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the dead raised. But wait a minute. Now all of a sudden, as he is setting up his kingdom, this is about to go down. And we're in the back room before he goes out on the platform and says, I accept the presidency. And we're arguing about who's going to have what position. And all of a sudden, he stands up, takes off his outer cloak, uh, outer garment, and takes a towel. And he wraps it around him. And he puts it around his waist. And he gets that whole thing. Ooh, if I can be over and up, there we go. And he gets that. <laughs> and he ties that thing around his waist. And he goes around and he starts washing their feet. Now, in, in culture this time, you know, they wore those kind of open sandal-looking shoes. And so they walked everywhere, so the dirt and the muck and the mud. And some of you guys, if I asked you to take off your shoes right now, you're like, oh, pastor. Mm. You don't know about that crooked toe I got? No, sir. No, sir. I got some stuff happening down there. I don't want nobody to know a smell. I throw away shoes every couple of weeks. These guys are no better than that. They're as nasty. So it is the lowest of low position in a home. In fact, this usually was reserved for slaves. This is what a slave did. They met you at the door when you entered into someone's home, and they washed your feet. You didn't have a conversation with them. You didn't treat them with any value. They were not even alive to you. This would be the same as, uh, as, as you know, uh, somebody that you could care a flying flip about. They were the servants. They were the slaves. And Jesus starts doing this slave work, if you will. <laughs> Blows their mind. Now they have a major issue to somehow navigate. How can he be ruler and be servant. How, like that doesn't compute. How, how can that be? And so when he gets to Peter, you gotta love Peter. Gets to Peter, Peter's like, oh no, no sir, no sir, you know, uh-uh. How you, how you gonna be Messiah and wash my feet? No, I've already told you I believe you're the one. And you cannot do this, this is the wrong role. You, that's the wrong position. How can you be ruler and then act like this? You're not, you're not impoverished, Jesus. I know you came from a poor family, but you're the man. He's trying to encourage him. No, sir, I cannot do that. And then let's pick up. He says, he came to Simon who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, do you do not realize now what I'm doing? You have no idea what I'm doing right now, son. You think I'm just washing your feet. You have no idea what I'm doing. He said, you don't realize it now, but it's going to happen. But later, you will understand. Verse 8, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well, just because I want to be with you. Wash me down. It don't matter. Get all of it. you got to go back to this statement that most people don't catch. Jesus says, if, we, if I don't wash you, if this doesn't happen in this moment, you have no partner with me. I would propose to you that if you're not a servant, then you have no real part with Jesus. 
I would propose to you that Christianity is about servanthood. I would propose to you that Christianity is not about you ruling and dominating. Christianity is about you loving your brother more than you love yourself. Christianity is about you and I serving one another as we serve unto the Lord. Christianity is not so much about us climbing the corporate ladder, getting to the top so we can tell everybody else what to do. But Christianity is about climbing to the bottom and holding everyone else up because this is the kingdom of God and this is what has been missed. And especially when you see all the corporate Christianity that we see now and all the hierarchicalness and the guys who can't even carry their own Bibles and these people running after them carrying their Bibles and, and all these Christians are supposed Christians and they're not kind and they're not nice and they're not of servant heart. They don't have even the, the concept of caring for someone else more than caring for themselves. And every bit of their worldview is cold, totally be, uh, a filter between how does it affect me good or bad. And if it doesn't affect me good, then I'm not doing it. And friend, can I tell you, he shifted their worldview in a moment. He said, no, 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 I don't care if you're th- you've been raised in the pagan world where all it's about is dominating and ruling and not letting anyone take advantage of you. But in my world, in my kingdom, you don't have a part with me unless you flip your worldview and the servant of all wins in my kingdom. And if you can't get that straight, son, you have no part with me. He said, look, don't just wash my feet, wash my head, wash my hands because I got to get this thing straight because I don't really get it, but I want to get it. I want to know what it is to be a servant like you demanded, like you're asking of us. Jesus didn't preach it. He lived it. He got there with that towel and he started washing their feet and washing their feet. Can you imagine having Jesus wash your feet? Can you imagine the humility? Like, Jesus, what you doing? Don't do it. I should be washing your feet. Yeah, but you never even thought about that because you're only thinking about you. So Christianity doesn't work when it's all about you. That's why you have, some of you have the hardest time. It's just hard being a Christian. It's hard. Yeah, because it's all about you. When it's all about him, and you take on the real kingdom principles, and you become a servant of all, Christianity is so fun and so life-giving, and you just can't keep up with all the miracles. Why? Because you're not trying to make something happen in your own leadership, in your own power. It doesn't matter what someone's telling you. Like, you're a dog. Praise the Lord, I am. Because I know where I came from. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even be here. I'm happy to be the servant of all. Until that shifts in your worldview, I wonder if you even have any place with him. He said, Peter, you have no place with me. You're not even a part of me. The Bible says on that day, many will come before him and say, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out devils in your name? He said, depart from me. I never knew you. How is that? How is that? Because something got missed. The kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom reign on this earth is not about you and I dominating everyone else. It's not about you and I being more powerful than everyone else. In fact, I love what Jesus said. Listen, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What are you? You're, you're at the table. As believers, we get to be at the table. Is that not enough? Is that not enough that we get to be at the table? Who cares who's the greatest amongst us? We're at the table with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's accepted us even though we're wicked, even though we're undone, even though we don't have it all together. See, until you get lost, you can't get saved. And some of you, because you grew up around church, you think you're a good person. Well, you're not. We're all wicked. We all have prejudice. We all have hatred. We all have unforgiveness. We all have these things that are anti-Jesus inside of us. And Jesus has to set us free and deliver us. But we cannot do that and get that deliverance until we become the servant of all. Until we say, Jesus, I can't make my life work. I serve you. And when we come into that place, when we take up that towel, something supernatural starts happening. I want you to write these down. Here's a couple of supernatural things that the towel does. 
See, the towel, number one, it proves that you know who you are. When you take up the towel, it proves that you know who you are. I can serve you because I know who I am. Go, going back to that verse 3 of, of, of John chapter 13, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew who he was. You don't have to tell him who he is. He knows who he is. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know who you are? Do you know that you're a son or daughter of the Most High God? Then you can serve when you know who you are. You can serve when you know who you are, when your identity is wrapped in Christ. Some of you, your identity is not wrapped in Christ. So anyone who tries to take advantage of you, you got to get them back. You can't let them take you down. We see that's a pagan. That's that's as the Gentile system. I can't let them talk bad about me like that. I can't. I can't humble myself and no, sir. If I do that, they're going to do this and they're going to constantly be pushing me down and telling me this. Friend, that's not what he teaches. That's not what he teaches at all because it's not his way. The part with him is that you and I become servants of all. Taking up the towel proves that you know who you are. You know your value. How do you know the value of something? How do you know the value of something? You know, you know how they set the value of something? It's based on what someone's willing to pay. The value of something is based on what someone's willing to pay. You thought you had an old beat up nasty house the last couple years? And all of a sudden Californians said, we got to move to Texas. And they sold their little apartments, two-bedroom apartments for $750,000. And they showed up here, and they could buy your 3,000-square-foot house for half a million, make $200,000. And you're like, my house is only worth $300,000, but they're willing to pay for $500,000. Let's go! It's what someone's willing to pay. That's where the value's at. I don't know if you know about this, uh, but there's this guy named Mark McGuire. Anybody remember Mark? Remember Remember him? He, he had, uh, you know, back in the 90s, he was a pretty good baseball player. Come to find out, it was steroids. Anyway, but anyway, yeah. and uh, not so long ago, his 70th baseball, home run baseball, sold for $3 million. It's the largest expenditure that someone has ever paid for a baseball, a home run ball. More than, more than a Hank Aaron baseball, home run baseball, more, more than anybody. Unbelievable that someone would spend $3 million. The guy that bought it, his name was Todd McFarland. It's the most expensive. And when they interviewed about him, he just said, I'm a, I'm a Mark McGuire fan. I remember where I was at when he hit that ball. That ball, the man paid $3 million. The ball is only worth, right now, current value, three hundred dollars to 400000 But the man paid $3 million for it because he didn't care, because he wanted it. Because he valued it more than $300,000, he valued it for him at $3 million. Can I tell you, one drop of the blood of Jesus is the most valuable commodity ever known in the history of man. And when he saved you, he put that drop of Jesus, that blood over you. He paid the most expensive price that could have ever been paid for you. So if you don't think you're valuable, you're an idiot because he thinks you're valuable enough to die for you, to love for you, to give himself for you. So how valuable are you? Enough for him to die for you. I'd say that's pretty valuable. Until you get that, you're going to constantly be living in insecurity. So no one, can, no one can ever do you wrong because of that insecurity because you don't know who you are. But when you know who you are, someone can say, you're an idiot. When man prays you, bro, I bless, bless the Lord, man. I love you. What can I do for you? I'll never forget this guy tried to rob me one time. I said, bro, you can't take this from me. I'll give it to you. What do you need? He, said, he didn't know what to do with that. I said, how much you need? No reason to go to jail over this. How much do you need? 
well, I just, I just need some money. All right, well, how much do you need? I said, all I got is about 20, 30 bucks. Would that help you? Yeah, that would be great. Well, put the, put the gun away, stupid. You don't have to take what I'm willing to give because I know who I am. And I know that he works all things together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. And I know he takes stupidity and he takes something great and he makes something great out of something broken. I know who I am. Do you know who you are? If you don't know who you are, you can never serve. You can never serve someone else. Because you're constantly trying to prove who you are instead of knowing who you are. What safety to just know, you know what? Oh, he was willing to pay how much for me? <laughs> Have you ever sold anything and somebody put, paid a lot more for your little thing than, than you thought it was worth? And you're like, I can't believe they did that. That's what Jesus did for you. He paid way more than you and I would have valued each other. That's how much he values you. Here's the second big truth about the towel, and that is the towel proves that you have real power. Write that down. The towel proves that you have real power. Verse 3 again says, Jesus knew that, he, that God had placed all things under his feet. He, he, he had no fear about what tomorrow holds. He has no fear of death. Why? Because as a servant who understands who he is and the power that he possesses, nothing can scare him. He has real power. Why did you let COVID steal your faith? Why? It's just a sickness. If you die, you say, well, I might die. So you get to heaven before all of us. Your ticket got stamped a little quicker. I was, you know, I always say this uh, at funerals. I just love this concept. The Bible says a, a thousand years on earth is like one day in heaven. And it's a philosophical little piece. It's not a, I'm sure it's not an accurate term, but, but it's fun to think about. So if a thousand years on this planet is like one day in heaven, I added that up one time, did the little math on that. If you live to be 82 years old, that's somewhere around 16, 17 minutes of heaven time. You're 82 years on this planet. It's going to be about 16, 7 minutes of, of heaven time. In other words, if you die 20 years before I do, you will have only been there about 3, 4, 5 minutes. You won't have even finished hugging Jesus and you'll be like, oh, there's my grandkids. Come here. You, what does it matter? The problem is you don't understand the power that you possess. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you. You can serve when you have power. You can't, you can't belittle me. I'm belittling myself for you. I have the power. Listen, only the great and the strongest and the most powerful have their true ability to serve. Because it's coming from a pure place. I'm making a choice to do this, not because you dominate me. I'm serving you even though I could dominate you. Can you imagine that concept? That is kingdom concept. That's what he's doing on the Last Supper. He's trying to teach these 12 minus one dummy uh, this principle that I'm doing something new and this is, you have no place with me if you can't take on this principle of living. Let me bring you to the last one. And here's the last thing that the towel proves and that is that you know where you're going. For Jesus knew where he came from and that he was returning, where he was going. See, when you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Yeah. Right? Jesus knew what his purpose was. His purpose was to redeem humanity. The only way to redeem humanity was to die on a cross and pay for humanity's sin, to pay it all forward. 
so he could humble himself and accept that because there was purpose. He knew where he was going. See, most of us struggle to serve others because we don't know where we're going. So we can't recognize the moment to be like Jesus in a relationship, in a business, in, a, in an engagement at, you know, at church. Because, you know what, and we get to fighting over who gets to sing on stage. And we get to fighting over who gets to be a small group leader. And getting fighting over who gets to be this and be that. And we stand in jealousy of each other. And so then we take sucker punches online and social media and this kind of stuff. All because we don't really know where we're going. But the man or woman carrying the towel, they've proven that they already know where they're going. I can serve you because I know where I'm going. I know what happens by the end of all of this. In the 90s, early 90s, uh, there was this horrific thing that happened in Colorado. It was at a high school called Columbine. Those of us that are a little older may remember it. It's unbelievable how it made international news. These two young men decided that they were going to shoot up the school and kill a bunch of kids. Young man by the name of Dylan, another young man by the name of Eric Harris. And they loaded up the weapons and they went into the school and they just started shooting mercilessly, killing kids. If I remember correctly, they ended up, I think it was Eric, ended up in the library. And there in the library was a little young lady named Cassie Banal. And she had been one of those sweethearts that loved the Lord, faithful to her youth group, faithful to her church, grew up probably in a Christian home, if I remember correctly. Met her. I actually got to meet her dad and, uh, after the fact. And, uh, and these young men, full of demons, obviously, mental mental illness would cause them to do something like this, grabbed her. She was kind of known as the, the kid who loved God at the school. And as panic is happening, blood's everywhere, they grabbed her in the library and said to her, so, what about your Jesus now? Can he really save? Do you still believe in him now? And she said, yes, yes, I do. So we're going to give you a chance. If you say no, then, then we'll let you go. And she didn't say no. So they killed her in front of everybody. For a while there, they considered her the first martyr in the public school system for Jesus. i never forget at those days, I was a youth minister kind of traveling the nations. And there was, this, there was this sense of fear that where's the next shooting going to be? Who's going to kill the next person? And then I met her dad. And you would have thought her dad would have been a bitter man. You would have thought that his little innocent daughter was killed by these crazy boys, that he would be against gun control, all this kind of stuff. But just the opposite. It was the most unbelievable thing to meet with him. I sat with him one time and just talked with him. And he said, although this is horrific and tragic, I have a confidence. I have a confidence because my little girl is in heaven with the Father. I knew where she was going. And so if they were going to kill any kid, honestly, I'm grateful it was mine. Because I know where she was going and she knew where she was going. Frank, can I just tell you something? It's so much easier to serve when you know where you're going. It's hard to serve when you don't know where you're going and you don't know who you are. And you don't possess any real power. The Bible says that in the last days they would have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. 
See, the kingdom of God gives us power not just to, not just to overcome Satan's powers, but also to forgive. The kingdom of God, true servanthood in his kingdom is proof that we have the power to walk in forgiveness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit according to the book of Corinthians. I wonder how many Christians are really a part of Jesus. He says, buddy, if you don't take up this towel with me, you have no part with me. Peter says, don't just wash my feet, anoint my head, my hands, my arms, because I want to be with you. And he goes, good, because I'm showing you what's about to happen. You're going to have to serve like this too, buddy. This is the new kingdom that I'm establishing. Not a kingdom of rulership by way of force of will and force of power, but by, by using the power to serve and to love. You have power as believers to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. The Bible is very clear. And these signs shall follow those who believe in my name. Mark chapter 16 lays out all these pieces. They'll cast out devils. They'll heal the sick. But friend, can I tell you, all of that power is used to serve a broken generation. And if we don't understand that, then we'll fight with the generation that's broken. We'll be insecure of the generation that has things that we wish we could have had. All because we never took up the towel. 